0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning, this evening, this evening we're going to start with a little object lesson. And it's probably an object lesson that you have seen done in some fashion. But this will have a little different twist. So what I have is I have a jar of rocks with the lid on it. Okay? And I'm going to get a little pan out. And what we're going to do is we're going to dump all of these rocks into this pan. That's the first thing we're going to do. Okay? So pay attention, pay close attention to see if you notice anything while this is going on. Okay, they're all out. Besides it being really noisy, was there something you noticed that was noticeable that you observed? Big rock was on the bottom, right? So, for all of these rocks to fit, I had the big rock first. Okay, the big rock was first. Now remember that, okay? Because now we're gonna fall these rocks back in this jar. But we're gonna save the big rock for last. And let's see what happens. We're getting there. So, okay, where'd that guy go? Here he is. Okay, and we got to put the big rock in. It's right this way. Problem, don't we? If we don't have the big rock first, it doesn't go very well. So you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure this out. What does the big rock represent? The big rock represents God. And the small rocks, what do you think? They represent things that get in the way, things that, we, that come first, things in our life that come first before God. Yeah, I think that's the way that goes. So let's work through this a little bit. Let me get this back up here so my notes are in front of me. Big rock and go there. We'll put this here, and we'll do a switcheroo, maybe. All right. Now we're getting close. I'm going to use these again, so I'm going to keep them handy. And I'm going to use this later, too. So we're going to do there. Now we're ready to preach. Here we go. So what... Where's this going? And what does this have to do with our Bible readings today? So we read 1 Samuel chapter 8. Do you kind of remember a little bit what was going on there? Well, I think we need to kind of go backwards a little bit to set this up. Because it is, it is fairly obvious when when we haven't even really read the scripture again and how this is going to relate to our message today, but when I, when I t- said to you, are there things that you put before God in your life, your brain started probably percolating a little bit about some of those things. So it's fairly obvious that it happens to us, but I want to show you a chart that really magnifies that God is not being put first in many of our lives. So can you get that up there for me? So this is a chart. Weekly church attendance from 1993 to 2020. Pretty good chunk of time. And this doesn't even include COVID. COVID. Because you know what happened to church attendance during COVID, right? So from about 2010, in the 10-year time, time frame, 48% attendance to about 29 Whoa. Probably doesn't totally shock you, but when you really see it, Becomes a little more reality, doesn't it? But Solomon always tells us in Ecclesiastes what does he say? Put it up there, Damon. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Faithfulness. And putting God first has always ebbed and flowed. And it was no different back in Samuel's time. Putting God second or third or fourth or maybe not in our lives at all is, is really not something new. So for Samuel, he was the last in the line of the judges. And what was going on before the judges? Does anyone remember? Someone was in charge. Who was in charge when... I saw Pastor Dan already answer this, no fair. Who was in charge? Moses dies, and God's put someone in charge to take them across the Jordan River into the promised land. Who was it? Joshua. Okay, and Joshua, he was a stud. He's one of the few people in the Bible who stayed faithful almost all of the time. And God God was always with them. I mean, they conquered city after city after city. And we know of the Jericho one, the best, right? That's the most famous one. But Joshua was sinful. He died. It's like all of us are going to die. And within just a short, short time period after Joshua dies, what do you think happens to the faith of the Israelites? Right down the tubes. Just like that chart was, that was up there. And these are the same people that had witnessed miracles. Or at least they were the next generation. But they abandoned God that quickly. So God then appointed judges, and not judges like you and I might think about in a courtroom. Really, a better term would be leaders. He appointed leaders. And um, there was a long line, there were like 12 judges over a period of about 400 years. And Samuel is at the end of those 400 years. He's the last judge. In chapters 4 and 7 of 1 Samuel, there are a series of battles that occur. In chapter 7, or excuse me, in chapter 4, the Israelites taken upon themselves to go to war with the Philistines without God's approval, and they ought to actually do something even uh, dumber. They take the ark into the battle. And God didn't tell them to take the ark into the battle. God wasn't with them. He wasn't going to bless that. They weren't weren't faithful. The two sons of Eli the priest were horrible sinners, and it was like their idea, let's go go get the ark. That'll do it. So it's a disaster, and the Philistines rout them. Not only that, they, they steal the ark. Well, by a miracle, which we won't get into tonight, the ark finally returns. And when the ark returns, Samuel has a good talking to all the Israelites and gets them to understand, God just wants you to be faithful. That's it. He just wants you to put him first. When you do that, great things are going to happen. And so they have a little mini-revival, and in chapter 7, they go into battle with the Philistines again, and it was a mismatch. It was like Mike Tyson versus Pee Wee Herman. But this time, it was God's idea. And this time, God was first in their lives. And don't you want to see how it turned out? Let's take a look. First chapter, excuse me, 7th chapter of 1 Samuel, verse 10. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines, and he threw them into confusion, and they were routed before Israel. Single-handedly. Because they were faithful. And when God is with them, all things were possible. That must have been one heck of a thunderstorm. But then, towards the end of Samuel's life, the people get a little bit antsy again. They get a lot of bit antsy. 1 Samuel 8, 4 to 5, which we read today this this evening already. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. And Samuel is hurt. He has been their leader for 40, 50 years. But God says, no, 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 no. You don't have to feel bad. This is not your problem. You see, they didn't understand. They already had a king. They had the king of kings, and they had the Lord of lords, the Alpha and and the Omega. He has been with them from the very beginning, and he will continue to be with us to the very end. They simply had to put him first. But they didn't. They wouldn't. And they couldn't. Because only a few years earlier, the king of kings and lord of lords single-handedly routed the Philistines. They wanted what the world could give them more than what God could and would give them. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans, slipping into worshiping creation and not the Creator is trouble. It's been trouble ever since. Sin came into the world. Let's take a look. Romans 1.25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Worshiping creation instead of the creator, that's the issue. But before we throw the Israelites under the bus, we really need to take a look at us. We need to look at our own society. Because in many ways, we're not that much different. We may not worship Baal or the Ashthorus or Dagon, the god of the Philistines. But we certainly put a lot of things before God in our lives, don't we? So, does the king of kings come first in your lives? That's a tough question. Look at all the things in our lives that potentially become first and God becoming second or third or fourth all the way down. Now, there's a lot of rocks in here, maybe 150 rocks. Probably wouldn't take us very long. Our jobs. How about we got to have a great house, don't we? I want the new car, I don't care what the payment is. I need some new clothes. Our lifestyles. How long could you live without your cell phone? How about the social media on your cell phone? Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. How about sports? How much time... I might have to put this whole thing in here just on sports alone. How much time did you spend hoping that Mickey Joseph was going to be the savior today? And then we scored a touchdown right away. Got her hopes up. Man, it's so easy to put things in front of God. Think how much time we invest just in Husker football. And I'm just as guilty. I'm probably more guilty than anyone. Does anyone play fantasy football here? Raise your hand. Fantasy football players? Not too many? That's time extensive, let me tell you. And it happens on Sundays. Anyone like to fish? You ever go fishing on a Sunday morning instead of go to church? Me. Anyone like to golf? Anyone really like to fix sprinklers? (laughs) You get it? You get it? We put so many things before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I could go on and on all all night. Those rocks would go in here, and we might have to go outside and get some more. But it doesn't have to be that way. God can be first in our lives. Sometimes we just have to be reminded. Tonight you're getting a reminder. He can be. He promises to be with us wherever we go. Remember the theme for the year, the school year? Might as well be our theme for the church. He will never leave us or forsake us. He loves us too much to give up on us. Now we're finally going to get to the epistle lesson, which is really what we're going to preach on tonight. So in the epistle lesson, Paul writes to Timothy. Very good and dear friend, Timothy. And he is encouraging his good friend and brother Timothy because he knows that this is a battle. This isn't play-play. Reality is, to put God first in our lives is a fight. And he uses that word. But he doesn't say it's just a fight. He said it's a good fight. It's a fight worth fighting. It's a fight for our salvation. The most important fight there could ever be. Take a look at 1 Timothy 6.11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. And here it comes. Fight the good fight of the faith. Oh, it's a fight, all right, but it's a good fight. It's a good fight because it's a fight for our souls. It's a fight for our salvation, a salvation that's already been won for us by the King of kings and Lord of lords. But until Jesus comes the last day, this fight rages on every single day of our lives because Satan is real. And he's not going any place until Jesus comes back and puts him in his place forever. The apostle Paul puts it best in first, excuse me, Peter, the Apostle Peter puts it best when he says in 1 Peter 5, starting at verse 8: be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring. Lion seeking someone to devour. Satan does not play around. He's serious about winning souls. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. So are you ready to fight? Are you ready to put God first in your life? Like Peter said, it won't be easy. This is serious business, Satan. Satan wants our souls, and he wants them badly. And he doesn't fight fair. He'll take our souls any way he can get them. Now that may seem a little daunting, but I have good news for you. Our God is bigger. Our God is stronger. He's the King of kings and he's the Lord of lords and Christ alone is our hope to win this good fight. And we can win. It reminds me of the words of a Christian song called Christ Alone. Most of you probably know this. You can sing along with me if you like, if you know it. No power of hell, no scheme of men can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns and calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand. Here in the power of Christ I stand. You see, Satan has... No match. He's no match for the power of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When we put him first, it's no contest. Because God put us, poor, miserable sinners, first, we have more than a puncher's chance to win this battle. When Jesus went to the cross, Satan was feeling pretty good, wasn't he? pretty good about his chances. But then something happened. Jesus got up off the canvas, didn't he? He came out of, he walked out of that grave. He won. We win. And we all have the last knockout punch to look forward to when he returns to take us home. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now may the peace that passes all understanding guard our hearts and our minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. We continue with our confession and our absolution.